And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the time is at hand. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at sci fi for mecom sci fi for mete.tv Broadcasting in HD to YouTube, Facebook, and hopefully Odyssey. It looks like uh, they've got some bugs going on over there. The live chat's open. Comments are open. So... Feel free to share your thoughts as part of this conversation. If you are listening to us as a podcast, we're happy that you're here as well. We do invite you to check out the live show if, uh, if you're okay watching video. Because sometimes we show you pictures. But if you like to get the podcast form we're on a number of different platforms and we appear to be showing up in various different countries around the world very exciting Uh, i think i saw what did i see italy italy was the new one that i saw show up on the map the other day so very excited to have our italian friends in the audience so good to see all of you there The email address if you want to send us feedback that way, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Where we just posted a list of the Eisner Award winners. You go check that out. Gabe gave us that list. The Eisner Awards, of course, the comic book industry awards that are uh, given out at San Diego Comic Con. And, of course, this year we have Comic-Con at home again because (sighs) reasons. We have Comic-Con at home. So no San Diego Comic-Con this year, but we do have a Comic-Con at home. Hyper Kaiju, welcome. uh, Good to see you there in the chat. Thanks for joining us. And uh, joining us for today's conversation, our correspondent, Mr. Christopher Hoffman, who has been tracking all of the toy and merch announcements. Welcome, sir. Hello. How are you? Uh, You know what? I'm on my third cup of coffee, so uh, stick with me and I'll catch up here soon. Mm. Ah, got it. All right. So, so yeah, so you have been tracking the various different announcements. Let me turn this little thing off because it's about to drive me nuts. Uh, You've been tracking all of the announcements about toys and merchandise out of Comic-Con and Home, which is pretty much essentially all we managed to get in these things because uh, San Diego Comic-Con, known for the celebrities that show up, but given that we're all online and nobody shows up to uh, to the Comic-Con at home as much, I guess the toys are all we got to look forward to. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was really interesting to see the different panels 
um, that they had for the different collectible and toy uh, exclusives that they were previewing. Um, but there were some big names that you normally associate with uh, having panels and at least like displays and exhibits at San Diego Comic-Con that uh, actually opted not to participate this year. Yeah. Um, and one of those, uh, and one of the biggest ones, uh, is, is actually a sideshow collectibles. They opted to have their own sideshow con, uh, where they debuted everything, um, on their own sideshow collectibles, YouTube channel. Um, and then they directed you to the sideshow collectibles website. Um, and, and they had some really, really interesting stuff, but it's just really kind of odd not to, to see them. Uh, participating this year at uh, San Diego Comic Con, at, well, at least. I'm not. I'm not that surprised about it because we keep getting emails here from Sideshow where they do the reveals, and they've been using their own YouTube channel for quite a bit of late. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, and we've talked about this before in a couple of different places on different occasions. The this notion that. <sighs> Your virtual cons are here to stay. The online element, even if there's a, an in-person, on-location site uh, event, you're still going to have this online component that looks like it's going to be part of the regular programming. But a lot of people are starting to realize, well, hey, we can just do this ourselves. We set up a, we set up a webcam and we got a little computer and we can get on our YouTube channel and bing, bang, bow done and it's i think reducing the effectiveness a lot of a lot of these larger events because you know like we saw when disney decided to do their own event with d23 and now warner brothers has done the same kind of thing with fandom They're, they've essentially done the online version of what disney did with d23 is like well, we don't need San Diego Comic-Con anymore. We can just do our own. And I think a lot of other people are going to start to realize that, well, hey, I got a camera and a laptop. I got a YouTube channel. I can do my own. Oh, it, it, exactly. Um, and in fact, there was a panel uh, that was really interesting at the San Diego Comic-Con at home that was focusing on um, independent uh, toy makers and um, toy distributors and it was a really interesting panel because it got to highlight all of these sort of um for lack of a better term kind of mom and pop smaller toy companies that are producing like original characters or uh for instance they had super seven which is kind of getting a, a lot more name recognition than it used to have they're actually um producing not only their original characters, but um, also they've gotten into some licenses. Uh, in fact, they were doing this uh, G.I. Joe classified um, line, which were um, a lot of premium uh, G.I. Joe uh, figures scaled in the uh, similar size that you had back in the 80s so they weren't the larger ones or anything like that so they were like the the three and a half to, to four inch figures but right. with a lot of different premium accessories now were they fully articulated twenty six thousand points of articulation or were they more the canner style star wars type figures um actually with with uh, super seven they were highly articulated i think um they were around like 30 points of articulation um oh, wow. different heads and hands 
all sorts of different accessories, that sort of thing. Yeah. See, that, to me, that's always seemed a little... Is superfluous maybe the word? Because if you've got this thing, like a Sideshow Collectibles thing, for example, you have this figure, and it's not an action figure, it's not a toy, it's not a doll, it's not something that you're going to play with. You're going to set it up on a stand, you're going to put it on a shelf, and everybody's going to ooh and ah over it. You're not going to be doing a whole lot to change it. I mean, the the number of extra heads and hands and weapons and all that, that's, that's all fine and good. But when you're setting it up on display, I would say you're probably just going to leave it alone. Because the more you swap these things out, the, the, the more likely it is that you break something. And I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around... How often would you actually change the statue that you've got on the shelf, and who would see it? <laughs> you know, it, like, it, it exactly, exactly. I mean, with, with um, like the you brought up sideshow collectibles. Um, they deal with uh, more of the maquette sort of like statue um, ultra figures. So they're not necessarily action figures; they're more uh, like display pieces, but. They do have the different heads and, and hands and different accessories. But as you mentioned before, I mean, one, once you put them on display, choosing the, you know, uh, accessories that you want to display on your shelf, you're probably not going to like, you know, change that like every two weeks or, or, or something like that for fear of um, either, you know, breaking a piece accidentally or um, like losing ex an accessory. You know, yeah. behind the couch or, or something like that, you know, and 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 with Sideshow, especially since they deal in premium figures. Um, in fact, let me show you one of the uh, ones that they had here. This is the Huntress figure. And Hyper Kaiju now, this, makes that exact same point. Extra heads, extra hands and heads give me anxiety. I worry I'll lose them or they'll break. And and. You have all of these extra pieces. Now you have to keep the box because you got to store all the extra pieces somewhere. And I mm -hmm. know, I know, it's first world problems, but still, it seems to me like it's a little, little bit of unnecessary extra hassle. But I'm old, so don't listen to and me. It, all right. So, Huntress. oh no, no, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I understand. Um, I, uh, it is, it is a bit of an you know unnecessary hassle um i mean sometimes the uh with like sideshow uh, all the accessories and stuff like that can be taken to excess yeah you know you you've got like eight different hands and and all of that sort of thing um but it's uh really really interesting that we've gotten into this very very premium adult collector market yeah and that where we've got uh generations that have grown up on certain uh, characters and properties that are a little bit too old you know for you know action figures and, and that sort of thing um and they're transitioning into more of these the display figures but they want the uh figures that they had when they were growing up so let me let me circle back around to the Huntress because I kind of cut you off there. We didn't get a chance to talk. So what what do we mm -hmm. see on this new Huntress figure? What does it feature? And that 
Well, with with the Huntress, let me get uh, back here. There we go. And that uh, with the Huntress, um, we're going to have a, a couple of different uh, head sculpts and a lot of different accessories. She's got her uh, little uh, handheld crossbow. That's one of her um, uh, main uh, weapons that she uses in the comics. And um, now, is this the figure it, right here? Is this the actual figure? Or this is just artist representation because that pose that, right there. If she's going to have the crossbow, I, is she going to have different arms altogether? And that she should she should come with different arms. Um, right now, they are showing uh, it, it's a prototype figure. Okay. Um, so so we're seeing the figure, but we're also seeing the you know the 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 background drawing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and what was really really kind of a, a bit frustrating with 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 sideshow was they were previewing these different items and that but if you wanted any more information about like price and exactly when they were going to drop not only did you have to go to the uh, sideshow website which wasn't you know that much of a hassle you actually had to create an account for a sideshow and mm. set up for uh, an account and have a RSVP form filled out. And um, so you would RSVP is like, oh, I'm interested in the Huntress. And whenever they got any news on that, they were, uh, they're going to email you with, uh, with more information about it. Gotcha. So it, it, it wasn't exactly a pre-order, but it was, I don't know. It was like a pre-order's distant cousin or something. Yeah, it's a bunch. It's it's a bunch of data collection that uh, may or may not be necessary for for people to find out about the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Speaking of which, uh, in the in the Fahrenheit 1984 category, let me go ahead and do this real quick. I ran across an article the other day. If you are going to a restaurant and you use the QR code that they have set up in order to scan your menu, be careful because we're learning now that scanning that QR code may put the menu in your phone, but it also puts your data in the restaurant's computers and they're able to track phone number, email, name, uh, location address stuff, and I know some of this stuff they'll probably use for contact tracing, but all of this information is now something that those restaurants can use for marketing, and they can also sell that data. So what you bought, how often you're at that restaurant, what you spend, all of that stuff is is available. You basically give the restaurant access to your phone when you scan that QR code. So watch out. All right, sorry. Now PSA is done. Thank you for my TED Talk. Now back to our regular programming. Now, uh, the Sideshow actually had the uh, the Huntress preview, uh-huh. but they uh, also uh, have a line of like Transformer maquettes. Um, and one of the really, really interesting one and beautifully sculpt, sculpted ones was uh, the Dinobot Grimlock. Oh, nice! And you, you, yeah, you can see all the different uh, the colors of the plants and, and the high amount of detail that that sideshow is known for. Um, it's going to have a couple of different accessories with Grimlock, but um, basically, it, it's 
it's just going to be uh, the the maquette. Now, is this a prototype we're looking at here, or is this the production model? Um, this is a uh, an advanced prototype, so okay. it's it's pretty much going to look like that um, once it goes into full production. All right. And let's see here. And we also have a really interesting one from Jurassic Park. Um, now, this one isn't going to have any sort of accessories or anything like that. Uh, it'll be another display piece, but it's the Raptors. Oh, nice. Okay. And let's see here. Now, if you're wanting something a little bit cuter, kind of like in um, the chibi category, uh, SciShow has has those available too. Let's now, see here. We've this is a... this is all stuff that got announced for for Comic Con at home. Is that right? And that exactly it was it was sideshow con at home, but it was running uh, in uh, tangent with San Diego Comic Con at home. Gotcha. I forgot to mention, Christopher, while while uh, while you're doing that, um, mm -hmm. as you've got that scene up. You can switch from one to the next and then hit your transition. It'll go from one to the next. So <laughs> I forgot ah, to tell you okay. that before we started. So Okay. If if that makes things easier for you. So those those of you who are watching at home, Christopher is doing a bang up job with his first time using OBS to to show us all of this stuff. So uh, we had a crash course. So yeah, so what else uh, you said uh, let me, can you can we see those raptors again real quick? Um, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm curious about something. Let's see. Go the Raptors. Okay. Okay. Can you see it? Yeah. So we've got two here. Are is there any is there any indication here which movie these are from? Are these because they look a little bit more sand desert color than the ones that we saw in the original Jurassic Park. Are these coming out of Jurassic World Dominion? Is, is this is this part of the new movie line? Does it does uh, I, it say? I, I believe so. They they were kind of um, a a bit coy when it, when it came to that. It, it was just uh, under the banner of uh, Jurassic Park or the Jurassic you know Park World franchise. Okay. All right. I was just curious about that because they looked a little bit different than what was in the first movie, but I haven't, I need, I need to catch up. I haven't seen the Jurassic world films. So I wasn't sure exactly what the differences were there. So, okay. All right. Now, um, Sideshow was also uh, going into sort of like the chibi market. Mm -hmm. Um, we had the, the picture of, uh, Huntress that was the, uh, very detailed, um, realistic uh, portrayal of Huntress, but for the X-Men, they're going to go with the total cuteness sort of route. Yeah, we've got uh, Rogue, and she's just, she's adorable. <laughs> this is almost kind of a, uh, you, you say chibi, um, is this... 
how popular is this type of design? And I'll ask I'll ask this question of the chat as well because I see this every now and again. And like you say, it's cute. It's 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 cutesy, and you know that that's almost is that uh, is that almost animated series era rogue. And that it, it, a, lot, it, a lot of nostalgia in that figure there. It, exactly. She does have the, the costuming uh, and the details from the animated series, um, although she doesn't necessarily look exactly like the animated character as far as the, the facial features and that sort of thing. Yeah. But with um, the chibi type of representation, you're going to have like the larger head, the bigger eyes. It, it kind of lends itself a little more to uh, anime styling. Um, than your uh, like '90s X-Men animation style. Yeah. Now, who was doing this this design type first? Was this the the Chibi style here? Was is this a result of the popularity of Funko Pops, or were was Sideshow doing this kind of thing prior to Funko dropping on the scene? Do you think? Do you know? Um, I, I, I believe that this is in uh, response to both uh, the popularity of the uh, anime style. Um, it started out uh, as chibi or sometimes super deformed, mm -hmm. where you would have the uh, regular style characters that you would see in the anime. And then sometimes in a bumper, you would see a miniature version of that character with like, you know, a larger head, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, and from there, you went to, to the Funko Pops that were kind of mimicking that sort of chibi style. And it just sort of like became ubiquitous as far as like, oh, this is super cute. Let's go for it. What is that in her hand? And that, that um, purple, that what's I, that purple? Let's see. With her in the hand, um, I believe that is a cell phone. Oh, okay. All right. And now we've got, we also have one that is of Gambit. That is really cute. Very mischievous looking. <laughs> he is and indeed. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, now with these sideshow collectibles, as we mentioned before, they're uh, basically display pieces. Um, and they're not designed for anything else uh, other than that i mean you do have some options as far as the heads and the hands as we mentioned before but um we there's not they're not designed for like any sort of play value or anything like that well and um, and you know the funny part about all of that is that you've got uh you've got this whole generation of people my age i guess who started off with the action figures, you know, like the Kenner action figures and the G.I. Joes and the four-inch the four inch characters. But before that, in the 60s, you had the 12-inch G.I. Joes. You had the big ones. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you have Barbie and Ken and all of that. And you've got the 8-inch Mego dolls. you got the Star Trek figures and, and whatnot. And it strikes me, and, is, and, and this kind of came up and various different conversations surrounding Masters of the Universe, for example, this new show that Kevin Smith has put out, and people talking about what kind of audience is out there for this. And it's guys my age. None of this stuff is aimed for the kids. 
this is all for 40 and 50 and 60 something people who have the extra discretionary income that they want to spend on this kind of stuff. I don't, none of this is for kids. Yeah, um, actually, I mean, there are some companies that are focusing a little bit more on uh, playability as, as far as the action figures go. But but you're exactly right. Most of the stuff is is aimed at the uh, adult collector, um, uh, people that want to um, go ahead and, and have that piece that they had when they were like six years old and, and you know, you know, playing in the backyard with it. Yeah. It just, I, I don't know, it just feels like, well, it's, it, to me, it's part of a broader issue where you have way too much focus and emphasis on the nostalgia factor for a lot of these franchises, and you don't have anything new coming out. There, there is no, we were talking about this on H2O the other night. Um, you know, my age, we had Christopher Reeve's Superman. And where is that superhero that's going to inspire the eight and nine-year-olds of today? There's not one. And mm-hmm. out, out of all of these collectibles, all of these, all of these toys and merchandise and all of this stuff, there's still not anything for that eight, eight or nine or ten-year-old to sit there and go, I want to be like that superhero i don't know no i i i get i get exactly what what you're saying is it's a lot of these a lot of these companies like sideshow and um uh mattel and and especially hasbro hasbro is like a huge uh conglomerate with with all sorts of intellectual properties um it, it seems like they're not really introducing any sort of original characters anymore it's just a, a variations on the same theme um in in fact with with mattel um they were even sort of moving themes between their different you know companies right. like for instance uh, they had some hot wheels uh, a collector set of hot wheels that was a uh, uh, debuted um last thursday um, that were actually uh, reproductions of the old He-Man, Land Shark, and and the uh, the Sky Rider, uh, and it had the same colors and, and stuff like that. But they were just uh, shrunk down to like a, a Hot Wheels sort of size. So it was like definitely appealing to like the adult collector, not necessarily, um, you know, the the eight or nine year olds. Yeah. How much of a problem do you think that is? Because if you spend so much time selling your wares to the forties and the forty and fifty something crowd, and you don't do anything for those adolescents going into teenagers, you're not refreshing your market share. You're not finding that next generation of customers. You know, there's no there's no brand loyalty outside of this very small demographic window and at some point and and again you look back at at the blowback on masters of the universe just being the latest one but all of these different franchises where you have a number of fans that are upset with the direction whichever franchise it goes people are going to stop buying that merchandise 
And then who's left to buy the merchandise if the people in that 40 to 50 something range walk away from it? They're not, it doesn't seem like they're setting up a new generation of customers to buy their product. And that, no, no, I, I, I agree where, uh, exactly where you're coming from. In fact, um, when Diamond Exclusive um, and Gentle Giant, because they're, they're uh, owned by the same company, uh, were doing their panel at San Diego Comic-Con at home, um, the president of uh, both uh, Diamond and, and Gentle Giant uh, brought up a very similar point. Um, they have a license to produce uh, Star Wars collectibles. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, let's see, I've got an image of a really interesting thing that they had available. Let's pull this up. There we go. One of these, uh, and this is a diamond exclusive, and that was a hologram. Let's see, what, let me get back here. There we go. And that was a hologram of version of the Mandalorian, as you can see. Uh, on your screen yep. and um that was about a hundred and fifty dollars and it's it's available for pre-order and of course you know as you can see it's a display piece it, it's uh i mean it, it's targeted at fans of the mandalorian but it's not going to be something that uh necessarily a, a child's going to want to play with or you know if a parent buys it for their child we've got to put it on the you know on the bookshelf and don't touch Right. And that, that to me is, I don't know that it's necessarily a problem, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to set these things up and whatever. I mean, it, it, it feels like it feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, you mentioned the you mentioned the Star Wars. Here's another one here with this Obi Wan figure. This is not mm-hmm. something to play with. I mean, it, it it's not articulated. It's a statue. It's not it's not an action figure. I it just feels to me like these these collectible companies are missing the boat. Now, let me ask you this: while you're while you're watching all of these panels over the weekend. Did you notice at any time, especially with Mattel or Hasbro, uh, did they have live chat open? Did they have comments active during those streams? And that no, they they really didn't. I mean, when they uh, they would pull, you know, a couple of pre-selected questions from Twitter, right? Um, uh, especially a. Uh, that was done with the uh, the diamond and gentle giant exclusives, um, but you could tell that they were like pre-screened, so it wasn't necessarily like a a live in the moment sort sort of uh, experience that you would have if you uh, uh, attended a uh, a uh, panel uh, in real life yeah. with, without uh, zooming it. So nothing nothing in the chat where we get any kind of blowback on. Anything that people are upset about, there were there wasn't a whole lot of that. You, you did you see a whole lot of that activity at all in in real time? I mean, you you could see the comments, but but it wasn't. Uh, 
it, it wasn't like the people presenting the uh, the items on the panel were actually uh, able to access the comments in real time. Gotcha. Okay. So it was basically a discussion between the uh, the people who were um, in, in the in the uh, the chat room or, or the comment chat room. Okay. Well, while I got Masters of the Universe on 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 the brain, tell me about this one. This is a new one here from uh, Mattel. Yeah, actually, that was um, the Scare Glow, uh, based on the design from uh, the Masters of the Universe uh, Re- <clears throat> Revelations, which is um, the new Kevin Smith animated Netflix series. Um, the interesting thing about that is. Um, Mattel created or, or brought back up um, their uh, Mattel Creations website. Um, some years ago, they did a thing called Maddie Collector, where you could sign up um, and have a membership. And, and uh, each month, you would either have like a, a DC Universe character or some other you know Mattel character that would be sent to you. Well, they did away with Maddie Collector. They brought up the website Mattel Creations and they debuted all of these exclusives that were going to be, you know, only available at, at San Diego Comic-Con at home. And um, they opened their website on midnight of uh, last Thursday. And for Scareglow in particular, uh, all of, all of the uh, allotted uh product of Scareglow was sold out within about eight minutes. Wow. And, and that was Thursday and, and you still had like, you know, until Sunday at, at midnight, you know, for the San Diego Comic-Con. And there were quite a few people that were only able to um, put one thing out of all of the Mattel exclusives in their, in their basket in hopes of, you know, actually getting that. Uh, and there was so much traffic to that particular website that once you put everything in the basket and went to check out, um, you also had a delay of actually finishing your checkout um, of like three to four minutes. Mm. Um, and if you decided to like, uh, okay, let me see if I can back out and add something else, you would lose your place in line and therefore you know, lose any chance of, of getting any sort of exclusives at all. My goodness. That's that's one of those times where you have multiple browsers open. I know a lot of people talk about that when when San Diego Comic Con especially, but I've seen it for WonderCon and New York Comic Con and a couple of others because there's such a limited number of tickets for the actual in-person event when they have those. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you'll have people, uh, and and we saw it play out in the Big Bang Theory as an example of this. But there are people who actually do this. You get multiple computers and multiple browsers and you pull up and you get in you basically get in line at all of these different browser tabs in the hopes that one of them is going to make it all the way through to the end where you get your tickets and it's this mad scramble i think i think san diego comic-con in the past has sold out inside of 20 minutes you know 45 Mm -hmm. minutes it's crazy but i'm wondering how much this this lockdown and pandemic mode of thought is going to affect that because once San Diego is actually able to come back, I imagine there's going to be some people who don't, 
who don't want to come back. Um, as, as far as like the uh, the companies opting for their own virtual events, or, or are you talking about the uh, the general public, or, or both? Uh, both. I don't know. I see. Uh, I see in the chat, Ethan Van Skyver is here as well. Welcome, sir. Poopy Joe is so awesome. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. Is this is this actually Ethan? Did see you in the chat. I'm not sure who Poopy who Poopy Joe is. Um, anyway, all right. So, <laughs> and that, um, yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> you had mentioned something earlier about uh, uh, adult collectors kind of like aging out, and and not uh, uh, and companies not necessarily producing anything that would catch on to a, a newer generation. Yeah, um, I do have. Um, a uh, another thing from uh, Diamond Select uh, and Gentle Giant. It's actually a Darth Maul bust that was an exclusive, and it's really highly detailed and everything like that. Well, that's um, an interesting design. I haven't seen him in that outfit before. Is there a is there mm -hmm. a story on this? And that well, this one is is, is from the uh, prequel trilogy, of course, um, and this was designed actually for the. Uh, for the millennial generation that the 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 children that are uh that actually were introduced to star wars through the uh the prequel trilogy as opposed to the original trilogy that okay. uh, came out uh with our generations and it's it's very strange because um we're coming across a lot of uh not necessarily blowback, but a lot of frustration as to what sort of demographic are we going to market to yeah. if we're going to be dealing in the nostalgia aspect of things. Um, because, uh, as I mentioned before, the, um, the president of, of Diamond and Gentle Giant was, uh, was coming across with a whole set of original trilogy star wars figures and, and statues that sort of thing and he was only have like one particular uh like run of things from the prequel trilogy and it turns out that there's just such a glut of star wars collectibles not only from you know, diamond exclusives, but you've got like from Hasbro and then you've got like exclusives that are only available at, let's say, Target or Walmart. And it, it's gotten to the point where you really can't be a completionist or a total completionist uh, if you're collecting any of these figures. Yeah, because you got to go to all of these different stores. The DVDs and the Blu-rays the same way where you get... Uh, uh, a particular movie or a TV show or something like that. It says, uh, if you go to if you go to Target, you'll get these extras, and if you go to Walmart, you get these extras, and if you go to uh, Sam's Club, you'll get these extras. It, it's, I think, cutting off your nose to spite your face. So, uh, anyway. Uh, it, it does seem that way. I mean, it, in fact, um, 
since we had uh, mentioned about like sideshow doing their own sort of uh virtual con in you know uh around the same time and uh, running in parallel to san diego comic-con at home there was even there was even a walmart con oh yes i heard a little bit about this and that where, where they had some exclusives there and you could go to the walmart website so it wasn't necessarily even like a dedicated walmart con page mm. but um they had a couple of those exclusives one of them was a uh, composite hulk which was um the combination of the the green and the red hulk from marvel legends that was an exclusive as soon as that debuted um it's it was sold out um and there's also a um a anniversary uh edition of the rocketeer figure and his display box is is actually mimicking a, a vhs cassette tape oh fun i didn't see and, that and, one yeah it was, it was really interesting um i i wish i had a, a a really good picture of it but um i was trying to grab some um but the resolutions the resolution just wasn't there um but it does uh the display case uh, box actually mimics uh, the old clamshell uh, VHS uh, boxes that you would, you know, find at uh, at Blockbuster or, you know, if you went and, and actually bought the video cassette back in the day. Very, very fun. Okay, so I do have this. Um, let me, let me throw this up here. Is this the, is this the Hulk we're talking about? Compound Hulk? And the, uh, yes, actually that's, that's the, that's the compound Hulk. Okay. And that sold out as soon as it was available. Is that what you said? And that, yes, it, it, it sold out with, uh, in about like 45 minutes to, to an hour. Um, I mean, there was a story on, on, uh, like bleeding, uh, cool, about the Walmart con specifically about that uh, particular uh, Marvel Legends figure, but there really wasn't any sort of like press that 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 Walmart was doing its own sort of con thing, yeah. um, and so I mean the the Rocketeer uh, figure um, as of today was was still available and that's an exclusive uh, to to Walmart. So and, where where else uh, where else was was things uh, happening that you know because you've got Comic Con at home, and you've got mm -hmm. all of these other you've got all of these other things like Walmart and Mattel and Hasbro they're all doing their own thing. I know on the comic side I think IDW had their own. So it's all of this stuff in conjunction with Comic Con. But they're not at Comic-Con. So they're not on Comic-Con's YouTube channel. They're doing their own thing concurrently in tandem. Good idea, bad idea. We're not participating in Comic-Con, but we're, 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 we're taking advantage of the fact that Comic-Con is going on right now and we've got these exclusives, but we're not exclusive to the Comic-Con stream. We're showing our own stuff. That that's, that it, just I, seems like it's it's there's more fragmentation there than we've seen in the past. Oh, it, it, exactly, exactly. I mean, like, I I wouldn't have even known that there was like a Walmart con 
had it not been for uh, the the one article about the composite Hulk. Um, so there wasn't really any sort of uh, like press about that. Um, and it just seems like the larger like retailers were kind of trying to ride the coattails of the you know popularity of San Diego Comic Con with actually uh, without actually officially participating. And yeah. in fact, uh, one of the big things um, that was uh, really interesting about San Diego Comic Con was the lack of uh, huge uh, retailers like Hasbro. Hasbro opted not to participate at all at San Diego Comic Con and um, has opted to do their own con in the fall called PulseCon. And so they're going to be debuting a lot of uh, Star Wars figures, the Marvel Legends. And in fact, they've, uh, as you mentioned before, you know, companies have started their own like YouTube channel and gone that way. Hasbro has one as well. It's Hasbro Pulse. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to release anything, it's not going to be exclusive to like a convention or, or, or anything like that necessarily. They're going to, you know, release it on Hasbro Pulse first. And then say, okay, well, maybe it's going to be at Animal City Comic Con, you know, or you could order it through us on the website. Yeah. So I'm going to make a real quick note here. Uh, it, I, I'm going to guess from the amount of emoji spam we're getting from this account that that's not actually uh, Ethan. So um, guess on my part, but um, it's a it's an educated guess. So. Hopefully that's not actually Ethan, but I think Ethan would behave that way. So <clears throat> anyway, so uh, so what else? Uh, what else have we run across? Because you've got uh, the one thing, one that you were talking about uh, wanting to talk uh, to show was the premium Bandai. Yeah, um, um, actually, uh, Bandai had some really interesting things that are still available for for pre order, um, but one of the interesting things. Uh, that they did. Let's see, let me bring it up here. Okay, they, uh, Bandai has the, uh, the licensing agreement for uh, Dragon Ball Z. Mm -hmm. And so they did an exclusive for San Diego Comic Con at home, and that was for uh, the Nappa character uh, from the first season of Dragon Ball Z, and he was a, um, a Super Saiyan warrior. I've got a, a close-up picture of him right here. There we go. Now, the interesting thing about that, um, as opposed to what Mattel was doing with Mattel Creations, where Mattel Creations, they, they opened everything at midnight on Thursday, and when everything sold out without, you know, within at least 45 minutes, that was it. That was done. Bandai Premium had a similar situation with this Nappa figure because he was an exclusive. It was sold out the day that it was uh, that it debuted um, on that uh, Friday. It was sold out within a, about forty-five minutes to an hour. Right. But instead of just keeping it sold out and not allowing the consumers another chance to. Uh, purchase Napa or at least pre-order him. Um, they went ahead and shut everything down, but then they reopened pre-orders 
that Sunday evening. So uh, at the last day of the uh, San Diego Comic-Con at home, you were still able to go ahead and if you wanted the Napa figure and weren't able to, you know, order it within like the, the short window that they were available originally, they opened up another production run of that. So um, you don't, you didn't necessarily have to uh, deal with the uh, fear of missing out or like, oh, and that, uh, and having to open different, like have your cell phone open and your tablet open, computer, just hoping that you might be able to uh, acquire um, an exclusive figure. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, um, like for Bandai, as I mentioned with with Napa, it was it's a pre order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, it's um, not out until February of twenty twenty two, I think. It, it exactly, exactly. So you would uh, order it, and then once the production uh, of the figure is actually finished, they go ahead and send it out to you. So it's it's more of like holding your place in line to get the figure um, yeah. than necessarily like purchasing the figure, you know, outright. Um, and that's uh, it's sort of akin to a, a bit a bit of crowdfunding. Um, in, in fact, uh, Mattel Creations. Their website is is actually uh, doing some crowdfunding projects that that actually mimic what you would see like on uh, like on Kickstarter for like an indie company or something like that. Oh, right. They would have um, stretch goals and uh, limited uh, edition pieces that normally wouldn't be in production and 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 go to retail that would be available but only if uh there was a lot of interest in in this particular uh set or or figures yeah hasbro has been doing that uh the last three or four years i think with their HasLab, because i think the uh, job of the hut sail barge was one of those projects where hey we're gonna do this and it's gonna be this much and if we sell this many then we'll make it and you can all have one. So it I I think I I think probably we'll see more of that as the crowdfunding model becomes even more uh democratized, shall we say? I mean for for a long while the indie projects, you know, crowdfunding was for these projects that wouldn't get off the ground any other way and we've migrated now to it's not stuff we can't do anywhere else it's stuff we want to maintain control over ourselves and not give away any pieces of the pie to anybody else so i think i think corporate at the corporate level we're going to start seeing even more of that because you know over on the comic side idw's been doing it dynamite's been doing it you know, you've got hasbro doing it with haslab you've got now you've got uh, like you said mattel is starting to do it I think Lego maybe has something similar. I don't know if they're if they're using a crowdfunded model yet, but I do know that they've got a thing on their membership side where you can vote for the next kits, or you can you can vote for 
uh, civilian created kits that now become part of the regular production line. So, uh, hey, I'm a I'm a big Lego fan, and I'm going to put all of this thing here together. And mm-hmm. look, here's my Back to the Future kit. And they go, that's really cool. Does anybody else want one? And so that you you get to vote for various different new kits that go into the production line. So I'm I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing and this could be a concern because as we see corporate entities infiltrate sites like YouTube for example with your MSNBCs and your ESPNs and your Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and that group as corporate entities start moving into crowdfunding sites I wonder what that's going to do to the independent creators that that's a really really uh interesting point in a question because it looks like because the larger corporations are um, doing crowdfunding projects on established properties that uh, you know like the Mattel Creations was doing in like a WWE ring and and, I mean your your grandmother knows who Hulk Hogan is you know (laughs) and um, it's 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 limiting it's going to limit the the amount of like independent uh toy creators and yeah. original voices um uh, it's going to limit how loudly they're going to be able to you know uh advertise and and get the word out on their original characters and original creations yeah. because a lot of people are just going to go back to what they know or at least the you know the 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 corporate uh number crunchers are like Okay, we're not really going to take a chance on Joe Jetpack when we can, re- you know, produce a uh, holographic version of, of Boba Fett. Although well, we've got like, you know, seven different Boba Fetts. Yeah. Right now. The flip side of that, though, I think would be um, it 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 limits your production run to the people who actually want the product. And I think that's one of the things, too, you look at, uh, you know, comics or books or movies or whatever. And, you know, a lot of these, especially, you know, I've, I've been following the, the Indiegogo and the crowdfunded, the Kickstarter campaigns for a lot of comic books. And the number of backers, while it might seem low, you know, 200 backers here, 500 backers here, 1,000 backers here, whatever... Uh, your creators are making a, a goodly amount of money off of the off of the project, and you don't have to have three million units out in the Walmart stores because if you you know if you get into Walmart in particular, you have to have you you have to be ready with the number of products, the number of items that they want to stock their stores. It's not just, mm-hmm. let's try in uh, Padunkadunk, Idaho, and see if it sells. It's, okay, we need 3 million units. We're going to put in all of our stores by June 2nd. You know, those, those kind of things. When they decide that they want to put your product in the store, you have to be ready to ship and, and have them ready. And there's no guarantee that they're going to sh- sell in the stores off the shelf. I mean, we how many videos have we seen now of Star Wars pre uh, Star Wars sequel merchandise just 
languishing in the toy aisles because nobody wants to buy this product. Comic books the same way, yeah. books the same way. They sti- they sit on the shelves because nobody wants to buy it. Whereas with a crowdfunding model, hey, I've got 30 people that want this thing. This is how much it costs. I can make 30 of them. We're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I mean, you, you've got a, uh, a lot of like peg warmers, for instance, like with uh, He-Man Origins, um, you can go to like Walmart and you can do like a Skeletor count, you know, and see that there's like six or seven Skeletors that are just, you know, warming the pegs, uh, even though it looks like a really, really great figure. Um, and the, the same is like some of the G.I. Joe's of retail. Um, that being said, you've got like a smaller company like Super 7 that specializes in, um, you know, original figures, but also has like the license for G.I. Joe. And so they're making like, uh, for instance, they're, they're doing a, a, a really special edition of the, uh, the Cobra Bat, which is like the android trooper that they had. It's got different hands and heads and stuff like that. And that's catering to that like specialist collector that still wants to have something for G.I. Joe, but doesn't want to like go to Walmart and, and just have the, you know, like, oh, okay, well, this is just a, a, a copy of something that I would have gotten in, you know, 1984 or something like that. Yeah. Hyper Kaiju uh, writes in the chat, I feel like most indie campaigns have prohibitive price points these days. Sure, there are the hardcores who will support their favorite YouTube personalities no matter what. And, and that's that's a good point. He says most comic buyers won't drop 30 to $35 on a 50 or so page book when they can get way more bang for their comic buying buck elsewhere. Uh, yes and no. Because uh, the value proposition on whatever product we're talking about, whether it's a crowdfunded comic book or whether it's a a corporate-produced, you know, mass-produced action figure, the value proposition is such that if a person decides that it's worth the money, then they're going to spend the money, whether it's at Walmart or Indiegogo. And I think a lot of that comes from a couple of different things. The quality of the product and... Certainly, a lot of that is subjective because you 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 can see examples of the artwork. You can see all of the different perks, you know, trading cards and foil wrap and this, that, and the other. And once you get it in your hands, you see, okay, this is a good book. This is a good action figure. I, I want more of this. And so when the next campaign rolls around, you have somebody that's an established customer from your first campaign who's coming back to your next campaign. And they also can sit there and say, I backed it the first time and I'm going to back it again. That kind of that kind of repeat business also is something that you can use in the marketing and say, hey, we've got all of these people coming back. You know, and, and so many people are posting photos when they get their stuff delivered. You know, when fulfillment happens is, hey, I got my book, I got my Cyberfrog book, I got my I got my six gun gorilla book. I open it up and I look at all this stuff. This is oh great, biggie wow. The other part of that is, you know, the thirty to forty dollars in the Indiegogo side of things, whatever that price point is, there are a lot of factors that are involved in determining that, whether you're shipping overseas, because some creators will bump up the US domestic postage in order to help offset costs for shipping 
internationally because that's that's an expense that still is a, a, a an obstacle for a lot of these campaigns. And so there's Green Apple right there in the in the chat saying six gun gorilla looks great. And there so there's a there's a testimonial right there. And that's what it is. There's a lot of word of mouth goes back and forth with all of this and say, hey, I picked up Downcast. This is a great book. You ought to get it. And so now there's that that fear of missing out when Downcast 2 comes out or Downcast 3 or Downcast 4 or Fatal. Or now you go over and Peter Samiti has said, I'm working on a new comic book that he's he's actually going to start writing. You, 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 the word of mouth percolates among the various different people who are interested in this stuff. And that's how you add value is because people are interested. And... 48 pages, 64 pages, 120 pages, you know, whatever your page count is, you do a bunch of extras. The value comes from what you put into the product as well as the perceived what I get out of the product once I have it in my hand. And so you're going to have people that are willing to pay that 30 to 40, 50 dollars for a book that they might not otherwise pay in a in a in a, in a direct market comic book shop. Yes, and, and and the the same thing or a similar thing goes uh, for uh, figures as well. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a an, an indie uh, toy maker, um, Chicken Fry Toys, um, that is producing a whole series of uh, dime novel Western figures, and and they're scaled like the the uh, three and a half to four inch sort of uh, GI Joe. 80s model on the blister cards and you're dealing with a lot of um, mass production of those type of figures but when you were going back to like the the cost and and the price points um, they're running into something that was really really interesting they have to actually make the the different molds and what's called tooling for the different figures so what they're going to have to do or what they have done is is actually they've designed their output based on about six different like tooling molds right so they're going to get the most bang out of their buck because they're not going to have like individually sculpted you know molds for each figure and that you're going to have you know maybe a, a you're of course you're going to have like different head sculpts but as far as the legs go okay we'll just use this one mold right you know again and again and again until you know uh, that particular thing wears out yeah um, now arms, as as- arms and torsos are the same way because if you've got somebody in a uniform then we can use the same mold over and over and over again and you can take that you can take that mold and you can cross paint it into another franchise so something that you might have for a star wars figure could also be used for uh, uh an indiana jones figure or um, a willow figure or a masters of the universe or, or gi joe or whatever because the similarities are such that you can cross-purpose those uh, uh green apple real quick says 25 to 30 dollars isn't that much for a graphic novel it's about what the graphic novels at my local bookstore costs yeah and i've seen i've seen graphic novels anywhere from 20 and up 
it's uh, and there, I haven't seen a uh, I haven't seen a top. I mean, there's depending on how much. Again, it goes back to the page count. But I've seen graphic novels in the fifty to sixty dollar range. I've seen big omnibus collections in you know one hundred and fifty two hundred dollars. So some of those are hardbacks, but a lot of those graphic novels you're right there in that same range for for price point. And uh, you had mentioned something about uh, like jacking up the the shipping prices for uh, like uh, different projects like uh, in the United States as, as opposed to like international shipping, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a couple of times where um, the, I've, I've gone to get like a collectible vinyl set and uh, I'm like, okay, cool. I've got this budgeted. Okay. I can work this out, did all that stuff, ordered the thing, get to the actual shipping page. The very last thing, right before I click the order, and, and the shipping is is like fifty bucks, yeah. You know, for for an item that weighs about like maybe, you know, at, at most a pound and a half, and and so you've got this, you get that, not necessarily sticker shock for the product, sticker shock for the uh, sticker shock for the uh, the shipping, which is, you know, it's like they kind of try to pull a fast one on you or something, you know. Yeah. Well, and for for indie projects, I think that's always one of those hiccups that a lot of a lot of, especially if they're on their very first campaign, um, there there are those unexpected expenses that you know it's it's good to talk to others who have done it a couple of times before you actually do it yourself. I know Clint Stoker has talked to a number of people. Eric Weathers has talked to some people. I think John Malin has has advised some folks. So there are people out there who are willing to sit there and offer advice and feedback on your campaign, whatever it is, whether it's a comic book or an action figure or whatnot. Uh, but I think also if you look at some of the corporate stuff, like what HasLab has been doing, and now you look at what Mattel is going to get into, um, you there might be some lessons to learn there and the corporate people might have uh, might have an opportunity to learn some lessons from the indie crowd as well um, Hyper Kaiju says I will support indies if the value is there and do support some campaigns and Green Apple's right there I'd rather support indies and yeah it you know, a lot of it comes down to customer service what kind of relationship am I going to have as a creator to you as the customer and it's not just it's not just a one way thing anymore. It's a it's a it's a two way transaction where I have to I have a responsibility to the customer to to you know respond to questions, complaints, concerns, issues or whatever and do it in a way that's not you know, if you look at YouTube's Twitter account, for example, it's a it's a lot of bot speak, a lot of AI, a lot of automated stuff. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, a there's, a, there's an indie uh, toy maker, uh, Elemental Toys, um, that ran into to a hiccup as, as far as um, the actual uh, get-it-in-your-hands date mm -hmm. of, of the figure line. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, it had to be delayed about a month 
uh, because there were some uh, problems, uh, not necessarily with the production um, uh, over at, at the factory that they used, but just like getting it from the factory over to the United States. There was a lot of like delays and that sort of thing. And, and so uh, the owner of Elemental Toys had to uh, email each of uh, uh, their backers and let them know it's like, okay, we've got the stuff. It's just been a bit of a delay um, and you're going to get it, but it's not going to be, you know, fall of, you know, this year. It's, it's going to be, you know, closer to winter. Yeah. That being said, getting back to the customer service in that email, they also offered, um, you know, refunds. It was like, okay, if you were expecting this, you know, at this certain time and, and we didn't deliver what we said, yeah. we'll give you a refund. Luckily for them, only about 12 people decided for the refund and the rest of the backers, you know, just, just, uh, were patient, but they got their figures. Yeah. Communication is a big thing. I mean, hi, uh, hyper Kaiju makes a point. A lot of Indiegogo campaigns take your money and then maintain radio silence for many months with no updates. Unfortunately, he says Graham Nolan does an outstanding job with his campaigns. And I think Graham is one of those, if I remember correctly, Graham tends to have all of his books done and finished and ready to print before he ever launches a campaign. So I think if you, if you, and, and you look at a number of the indie comics, especially, I mean, Action figures, it's a little bit harder to do. You can, you know, you can 3D print the prototypes and you can have the, the, the samples. So you say, this is, this is what it's most likely going to look like. Uh, but with books, especially, you know, if you have all of the print files ready to go before you launch your campaign, that's going to make fulfillment a whole lot easier on the back ends. Okay. Once the campaign's done, you just go into fulfillment just like that. And, and yes, Green Apple, most people are okay with refunding you if you request one. So so many of these campaigns, that, like like you said, Christopher, they they run into a snag, they get a delay, uh, we're not able to do this variant cover because the artist decided that we're, you know, wrong thinkers or what, you know, whatever the reason is, you know, there's been a tsunami and our printer has, you know, been shut down or you know, there's a there's a there's there's a pandemic coming and and nobody's doing business. Yeah, you know, whatever the reason, uh, as long as creators are fairly reasonable and as long as the customers are fairly reasonable, I think everything works out. But there are there are campaigns, B. Claymore, that have been out there and have never fulfilled after years. I think I think yeah. B, I think B. Claymore's project is going on 10 years now. So, you know, it's like you talk about take the money and run. All well, right. Yeah, and, and a similar thing could be said about, um, you know, uh, some of the, the projects that um, like uh, the Bluth Studios have, you know, have proposed and, and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Did we did we cover everything that you wanted to cover? Or we got anything else or because we're well, um, actually I, I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, the Bandai Premium yep. uh, panel was really interesting because they're dealing with a uh, different brands under the Bandai Namco banner. Um, they've got a lot of different um, exclusives coming out 
But if you go to the Bandai Premium website, um, you'll be able to see like a Naruto figure and um, they've got some really amazing Gundams that you can the, that you can pre-order. Okay, and that's the is that this this uh, let's see where is that is that that's this site here? Uh, yes, sir. It's okay. uh, Brand, uh, Bandai Premium US. You can just do a Google search, and okay. and that'll come up because they've got a lot of different uh, interesting properties. Okay, and it should be noted that we don't have any affiliate uh, any affiliate marketing set up for any of these people, so we don't get any money if you buy any of these things. So <clears throat> just yeah, just throw actually, that disclaimer the, out there. We don't have any any particular uh, dog in the fight, I guess you could say. So anyway. it, it, exactly the, the only reason I mentioned the Bandai Premium as opposed to like Mattel Creations is uh, because. Bandai Premium actually looks like it's got stuff available. Gotcha. You can go and look at Mattel Creations, but everything's sold out. So Yeah. All right. Well, we are past our hour. Christopher Hoffman, thanks very much for being here today, sir. We're going to have to do this again very soon when uh, when we get well, new news. Maybe we'll, we'll probably do something in and around... Uh, Warner Brothers fan dome and if D23 ever happens we'll have something there too and of course we've got the Star Trek thing coming up in Vegas so lots and to talk about to PulseCon in the in the fall yep for Hasbro all right we will definitely uh, circle around to that as well when that comes out in the meantime uh, we do want to thank everybody in the chat those of you who were here um Whoever was pretending to be Ethan with the emoji spam, um, too bad, so sad. But uh, everybody else, <laughs> glad to see you here. If you are new to the channel, I do see a couple of names that I haven't seen in here before. Welcome. We do like uh, having new people show up. And we do invite you to uh, consider subscribing and have your notifications turned on. And we will do this all again tomorrow with another live from the bunker and then coming up on the weekend we've got oh well no wait on thursday tomorrow's thursday we've got a new ranker pit tomorrow night 9 p.m eastern 8 central and we have dropped a new h2o podcast uh monday night it was a pre-recorded edition because i was out of the office looking at the career of Richard Donner. So I do want to call your attention to that because uh, it doesn't have as much traffic as we normally get when it's live. And then Saturday morning, we've got a brand new Good Morning Multiverse with the week's headlines of everything that's happened uh, this week, most everything. And then Saturday afternoon, a new Tartar Sauce discussing Doctor Who. So lots of shows for you to enjoy here. You can sample various different programs, find the ones you like. And uh, if you would like to share them, we won't object. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 